Hello and welcome. You're listening to the It's All in the Cards podcast, a horror fiction podcast where all questions are welcome, but you may not like the answers. Some material may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The neophytes applaud after I wrap up my announcement. In some ways, it feels good to finally make the decision, but that also means I can't back out now that I've made it public. I mean, if some new discoveries or information come to light that should sway my decision, then of of course I'll consider them. But if any information is to come to light, it's most likely that I've been holding a demon captive in my basement for almost a year, but one thing at a time. Maureen smiles and pats my shoulder. I'm sure it relieves her on some level to know I really do want to be a part of this coven. I'm hoping she will actually wait until the day of voting and not use tonight to spill my secret, but the mischievous grin on her face makes me doubt it. Thank you, Jade. This is wonderful news. I'm glad you feel like a real member of the coven now. Though, of course, the coven will do their due diligence in considering all the nominations. That stops me. All? The nominations? You didn't really think you would be the only one nominated, did you? Episode 9, The Last Call. I know when things were first decided, no others had been nominated. But over the past few weeks, a few other nominations have been made and accepted. Why am I just now hearing about the other nominations? Because you had not been initiated yet, let alone announced your acceptance. Her logic was sound, but she knows I don't like being blindsided or feeling like a fool in front of a crowd. Does this change anything in the process? Potentially. But it doesn't have to. The coven will still cast a vote. Who are the other nominations? Marine's grin widens. That can't vote well for me. Will the other sisters who accepted nominations please come forward? Two sisters step out from their place in the circle and up to the front with us. One is Laura Pugh, a short but stout woman about Marine's age, who has been a member of the coven for just about the same amount of time as Marine which means she may have been among the ones there the night my mother died. On top of it, she's one of the two women I suspect that told the neophytes about me killing Margot and Alexis last year. She's bossy enough, and spiteful enough, to get people to do what she wants. And she's a whiz when it comes to kitchen witchcraft. But she's not smart enough or apt enough with magic from the goddess to be the spiritual leader of an ant, let alone this coven. The other woman is Ruth Ann Mayfield. She's tall and skinny like Aunt Beatty, but what meat she does have on her bones is lean muscle. She was an Olympic runner a decade ago and has continued to run marathons in her downtime. She's only a few years older than me, but Roz and I were too young to run in her circle as kids. She's a gifted clairvoyant who I stay as far away from as possible. Her gift is a bit like Aunt Beatty's in that she doesn't have to tear my shields down to get to me. Thankfully, she really is a kind, moral soul who wouldn't read anyone on purpose without their permission or in dire need. She wouldn't be a bad choice for High Priestess. If I wasn't in the running, I'd vote for her. Will the other nominee please step forward? 
There's another. I watch for movement in the group. Rachel takes one step out of the line of people, but doesn't move more than that. No. Who nominated her? I told you my condition for accepting my nomination. I withdraw my nomination. That is acceptable. I just needed verbal confirmation. You may sit back down. Rachel was nominated and accepted it and didn't tell me? What the hell? I will so be having a talk with her after this. I'm betting her conditional acceptance was on if I turned down the offer. If I didn't want it, she'd take it. Maureen sweeps between the three of us nominees, turning to stare at each of us as she speaks. Two weeks from now, we will hold our vote. I suggest you all begin to speak to your sisters and convince them why they should vote for you. Really think about what you have to offer as High Priestess and what secrets you may have to give up in order to do so. She isn't looking at me when she says the last part, but I know she means me. Or maybe the other two do have dirty laundry they would have to air out if they become High Priestess. Either way, I have two weeks to figure out what the hell to do with the two-faced man in the basement or risk the coven turning me down. We go back to the main focus of tonight, which is welcoming the new sisters, including myself. Oh yeah, they've all been very welcoming. Every single witch here tonight, with a shred of any real power, has tried to get a feel for me. It's another reason why I've stayed away from most of them. It doesn't matter how old you get or how content you are with how the coven works. Everyone always has to size up new members, especially those with a nomination. For me, Laura, and Ruthann, tonight is more than just talking to everyone. It's letting them get a taste. On the one hand, I had no problem smashing any attack on my shields. One younger witch, though powerful, I'll give her that, I so thoroughly threw her magic away that she physically fell back and landed on her ass. But on the other hand, it's no better than parading out like beauty pageants and being judged. I've been in the classes with the neophytes so long, I forgot how the coven actually operates. Yet if they've been operating like this, no wonder Alexis and Margot felt the need to find more power. Maybe that can be another thing I change as High Priestess. As High Priestess. God, I hope you're seeing this, Mom. I finally finished my rounds with a sense of everyone's power and those who want nothing to do with me. Unfortunately, the distribution of power is about equal in the pro-me and con-me groups. Those who are hell-bent on never voting for me, I just recommend they vote for Ruthann. They're shocked when I make this recommendation, and I'm sure in a way they see it as a weakness. That I don't think I should really be in power if I'm telling them to vote for someone else. But anyone actually listening to the conversation sees that I'm not trying to force them to vote for myself for selfish reasons. But talking her into voting for the other person I also think will do well as High Priestess. I finally managed to get back to Maureen. I have other business to ask her about, and she better answer the way I want her to. How are you feeling about your nomination, Jade? I feel the votes are up in the air. I personally think we should let the goddess decide, but I know that's not my call. You would be correct. There will be a vote on proceedings a week from the actual vote. While we are waiting for that to be decided, I would like to ask you to tell me the truth about my mother. Her eyes flare wide for a moment, but she gains her composure. It was Sam that made the deal with you to tell you about your mother once you went through the classes. The only bargain I made with you was for your nomination of High Priestess. I understand that. And if you ask Sam, I have been more than patient with her. But also, I wanted to give you a chance to tell me, instead of hearing the story from the mouth of a babe who wasn't even alive to see the event. And not just that. 
But I also am ready to hear your side of the story, about what Ross said with my mom in necromancy. Her gaze weighs heavy on me as she ponders this. It is a story of what happened that night. A story that all Coven members hear in completion shortly after initiation. As long as I am not excluded for being too close to the story, I would not mind waiting to hear the story with the rest of the initiates. Maureen can't keep the surprise off her face. I'm sure she thought I was going to argue and try to force her to tell me now. I've already waited almost a decade, but it's a couple more weeks. I would be happy to answer any and all questions openly with the Circle, as long as you think you can handle it. Jade, even if your mother died of old age peacefully in her sleep, revisiting such memories is hard on anyone. But I will trust you to gauge your own emotions, and if it gets too hard, you can leave. I'm also trusting you to get rid of that demon before we vote. Did you know Sam cast her own truth spell? She said it was one of Roz's, and we know none of Roz's uses an object like your cane. Roz told me after the fact. So you didn't encourage her to go snooping around my shop? Maureen puts two and two together. She knows about the demon. She confronted me about it. I wasn't going to lie to her anymore. She kept asking more questions, and knows you know. She may approach you about it with her own plans on action. If you had just exercised the thing when you should have the- I'm not giving up on Steven. Jade, you know as well as I do that we can't save everyone. This one I can. I will before the vote, and if I haven't by then, then I'll announce the situation to the whole coven myself. Despite the fact that you tried to hide the demon from me, you still surprise me, swallowing your anger, doing the right thing. I surprise myself too. Blessed be, Maureen. The night is almost over, so I make a point to talk to Rachel before I leave, as she's been making a point to avoid me. I find her at the edge of the circle with a couple neophytes. I sit beside her quietly until she's done talking to them. As soon as they're gone, I don't give her a chance to leave. Why didn't you tell me? Because I knew what decision you would make. And it would be a moot point, anyway. I could have made a different plan. What? Me be your puppet? Me be high priestess, but you talk me into making what decisions you'd want? Thanks, but no thanks. You know I wouldn't do that to you. But it would have given us a different option. It would have given you a different option, not us. I know you are still scheming, no matter how nice you've been playing. I don't want you coming in and disrupting the coven further. We've already been through hell. I'm not sure why she's being this way, but I can't say I don't deserve it. But I'm not just going to sit here and take it. Gee, thanks for your vote of confidence. If you're not going to vote for me, then please vote for Ruthann. You know you have my vote, dumbass. Just... Don't be the disappointment everyone thinks you will be. And would you help me not be that disappointment? Would you be my priestess? She cocks an eyebrow at me before looking away. She continues to look at the rest of the party as she speaks. I may be persuaded to be that. That's all a girl can hope for. Blessed be you, Rachel. I leave Sam to her party. She can catch her ride home with Roz or Maureen. I've done enough peopling for one night, especially if I have a lot more ahead of me. Rachel's right, as usual, about me. I am still scheming, just not the way she thinks. I wonder if that will be a relief or a disappointment in the end. I can't wait to find out.
Another empty day at the store, with me filling my time by moving inventory around and rearranging the book sections to better highlight the folk magic section. Maybe that will get some interest from the looky-loos who come by to see if we are legit. If any more ever do come by. The sky is darkening outside the front windows by the time I decide to give the day up for a lost cause. Between the upcoming vote for High Priestess and the Two-Faced Man, I'm not going to be the best salesperson anyway. Before I can flip the sign from open to close, though, I see a figure walking past Rosie's cafe and clearly heading my way. I step back away from the windows and watch him as he gets closer. He doesn't look like the handsome Harry who dragged me off to see Richard. No. This man is wearing a ragged trench coat, with a brimmed hat covering his head. Beneath it, I can see his face is heavily lined and marked with the sunspots of old age, and he has a slight limp to his step that the cold weather isn't helping with. I wait until he gets to the front door before stepping back, not wanting to look like I was watching him the whole time. Welcome to Which Way Between the Lines. I was just about to close up, but if there's anything I can help you find, I would be happy to help you. The words sound false in my ears, tinny and tired, but the old man smiles up at me anyway. The thick frames of his glasses magnify his eyes, making him look like an oversized, over-wrinkled bug. I'm so sorry to come right at closing time. I meant to get here sooner, but these old bones don't move like they used to. He pauses then, and I'm not sure if it's for me to reassure him that I'll stay open, or to laugh at the misfailings of old age. Either way, I give him a tight smile. What can I help you with? Some light reading? He taps the side of his nose lightly. Right on the money. I've got to pick up the next book for my book club. And I am having the darndest time finding it. Do you think you could help? What's the title? I could tell you if we have it in stock, or I could order it for you if we don't. It's called... Vengeance in the heart, death in the hand. My eyebrows raise at the absurdly long title, and the man laughs. I know, I know, it's a long one. I wouldn't have picked it, but there are a lot of ladies in the book club who are into the true crime stuff. And apparently, this one's a good story. It's about the vengeance killer. Have you heard of it? No, can't say that I have. Would you like me to order it for you? I move behind the counter so I can access the computer and get the book ordered for him, but he shakes his head before I can put it back up. Thank you, but I actually need the book for tomorrow's meeting. I guess I'll just have to rely on my own memory of the case. There's a twinkle in his eye that says he wants to keep talking, and pity creeps up the back of my throat like hot metal. What could it hurt to stay a few more minutes and keep an old man company? You remember the case happening? Was it around here? Oh, lord, no. It happened up north a ways, about 30 years ago. There was this guy, Ian James Stewart, who had a bit of a run of bad luck. It seemed like at every turn the world was out to get him. He got a decent job and then was passed over for a promotion and was eventually fired because he didn't take too kindly to his new boss. He got pulled over for a burnt-out taillight and ended up with major fines for driving under the influence. All sorts of stuff that other people seemed to get away with, but not Ian. 
He got the worst case scenario every time. So, he started to get his revenge on the people who wronged him. Not right away, oh no. He was smart. He waited months, even years, planning out exactly how he was going to get back at everyone. The old man's mouth turns up in a maniacal smile as he speaks, and I straighten my spine. Carefully, I reach out with my magic, trying to get a feel for what is really going on here. But there's just darkness. Something is going on with this guy, and I have to keep talking to him to find out. How did he get his revenge? He looks up at me, his big eyes lighting up. Mm, the sins of the father are visited upon the children. So he killed their children? Indeed he did. He got them on their way to school, showed up while the babysitter was busy with her boyfriend. Whatever he could. Sometimes he stalked the family for weeks until he found an opening, but he was always able to get away. Even when they started to suspect him, when the forlorn parents saw his smiles and told the police, it took a while for them to catch him. Because Ian had help. What kind of help? A psychic line. He would call a psychic line and have them read his fortune. And they were so helpful, warning him of cut brick lines and attacks after the dark. His smile widens as he looks at me. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry about the missing flowers, Jade. I really had thought that the shop had made an error, and I made sure they paid for it. How was I to know that... Something more supernatural was going on. The memory of a little girl in overalls comes back to me, screaming about a monster before she disappeared in the doorway of the shop. I made you a promise, do you remember? The last time we spoke on the phone, after you escaped from justice, I promised you that if we ever met, I would make sure that that day was your last. How could I forget, Jade? That's why I'm here. I shudder at the sound of my name in his mouth. I want to seal it shut for good. So, you're ready to die? His face crumples into a simulation of hurt. Are you really gonna attack an old man when he only wanted to make a purchase from your store? What will the police think when they finally track down the vengeance killer and find my poor, broken body on your doorstep? They won't. <laughs> I lunged towards him, preparing to knock him down, wanting to have the pleasure of killing him with my bare hands before I drink him down, but the bastard slips easily to the side, spinning as I move past him and landing a heavy fist against my ribs. Ah! The pain flares up, blinding me for just long enough to prevent me from catching myself on the floor. I fall with a thump, knocking my head so hard I can hear a faint ringing. The asshole. I should have realized he was pretending to be frail to get under my defenses. I swing my leg at his knees, trying to send him to the floor, but he avoids me easily. Ah, 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 Jade. That's not very nice. What do you know about nice? I climb up to my feet, ready for his attack, but he stands casually against the counter as if he's waiting for a book. Crossing one foot over the other, he slides one hand beneath the collar of his buttoned-up shirt and plays with a stone on a leather string. I can feel a faint hum from it, 
which explains why I couldn't read him earlier. He got himself a fucking protection charm. I know the difference between nice and not nice, and I know that prison is decidedly not nice. Since this melanoma is going to take me out anyway, I figured I'd give you the chance to do it first. Isn't that delightful? With a growl, I throw myself towards him, my hands reaching for his throat to claw it out. Who cares about the mess I'll make? I'll clean it up later, happily. <laughs> this time I make contact, and the two of us roll across the floor, landing in the doorway of the reading room. He sits up, straddling me, and the vervain blackens and wilts as soon as it makes contact with his shoulders. From his pocket, he pulls out a long bowie knife, the blade reflective and sharp. I had to take the old girl out of retirement for this one. Doesn't she look all nice? Shined up. Before I can say a word, he plunges the knife deep into my side. <coughs> and my world explodes in pain. I scream before I stop myself, and he laughs, enjoying the pain he continues to cause in the world. Be quiet, or the neighbors will hear you. But will they even care about poor Jade getting robbed at night? Are you nice to your neighbors, Jade? Nice enough for them to worry about you if the store doesn't open on time? My voice is harsh and ragged as I choke off the scream. I force myself to focus, knowing that this is a situation only one of us will get out alive. <laughs> he pulls the bloody knife out of my body, but before he can punch another hole into me, I fist my hands together and bring them both down on his stomach as hard as I can. He falls off of me with a gentle oof, and I scramble further into the reading room. I have to get him to just the right spot, and then I can- <laughs> He slams into the side of me, the blade thankfully falling sideways between us, unable to sink my flesh another time. We both fall to the floor, and I kick at him until he moves deeper into the room. Almost there. He rolls himself up to a standing position, but I can't bring myself to match him. The wound on my side is pouring blood, drenching my shirt and down my skirt with my own dark blood. I press my hand to the clean cut, hoping the pressure can slow the bleeding until I can get to a crystal, and slide myself closer to the table in the center of the room. <sighs> I thought this would have been harder, Jade. You're all teeth and fighting words over the phone, but now look at you, bleeding out on the floor of your own store. With no one here to mourn you when you're gone. Pathetic. And who's going to mourn you? Definitely not the parents of the children you murdered. I'm sure they'd love to see how you end. I push the secret button under the table, opening up the trap door beneath his feet. But I miscalculate. He only has one foot on the door, and he easily jumps to the side to avoid the long plunge into the icy waters below. Ho oh, oh. <laughs> ho! You do have some tricks up your sleeve, don't you, Jade? I bet your mother would have been proud. He smiles down at me, that patronizing smile, and takes a step closer. Spots start to form in my vision, and I press my side harder, taking in the pain, using it to keep myself awake. I can't let him win. Not now. He kneels down, close enough to strangle if I had the energy and holds the bloody knife up to my face again. I'm disappointed, Jade. But not surprised. I was looking forward to a showdown with you. I researched you, you know. I've heard some interesting stories about the loner woman with magic kept just secret enough to fly under the radar. 
I had hoped that our meeting would be the grandest moment of my life. The biggest fight I would ever have. But looking at you now, you're just a sad woman. He shakes his head at me, but over his shoulder, a shadow builds, growing larger as it comes closer. I stare him in the eyes and smile, which makes him falter just long enough. I bet you didn't hear about Mr. Giggles. Confusion clouds his eyes before the pain takes over, brought on by the toothy bite of Mr. Giggles. <laughs> Mr. Giggles keeps a firm grip on his leg and begins to thrash, swinging his old body around the room until the scream stops. He turns to go back down the trapdoor hole, and I pat his tail in appreciation. Thank you, Mr. Giggles. That was perfect timing. Taking a deep breath, I pull myself to my feet, fists still pressed against the wound at my side. Slowly, so slowly, I shuffle over to the crystals I keep over the register, searching for the one that will give me enough energy to heal myself. I lay my hands on the quartz and suck it dry before using the energy to close the majority of the wound. It still weeps along my side, but it won't need stitches now. I lock the front doors and leave, so ready to go to bed. It stays like these, I wish the stairs inside the shop up to my apartment were usable. That way I wouldn't have to trudge back out in the cold and dark of the long winter night, with blood dampening my skin to make the frosty air bite that much harder, or risk breaking my neck on the slick stairs as I make my way up. My blood's still slick on my hands as I grip the banister. Maybe I could put in a weatherproof lift. I'll need something when I get old and arthritic. Ha! Me. Old. As if I'll live to see that. I slam the apartment door behind me, happy to finally be in my safe space. Persephone's lounging on the top of my fridge, lazily stretching her paws out over the edge, but in no danger of falling. The silence. God, the silence of my empty apartment makes the ringing in my ears all the worse. My heart pounds like it's trying to escape my chest. I can't control my breathing. All I can think of is his face when he almost had me, and how helpless I felt. God, I couldn't do anything. Am I really that helpless without my magic? I fall against the wall and let myself slide down to the floor, hand at my side, still trying to breathe, to shake that wretched feeling of helplessness and despair. A low I never want to feel again. But I was there. God and goddess, I was there with no way out. Only Mr. Giggles was my saving grace. But what if he hadn't been there? No, stop. Stop thinking like that. You're alive, he's not. That's all that matters. I don't know when Persephone hopped down from the fridge, but she's at my feet now, rubbing her body against my legs as I stay curled, unsure of myself, Unsure of how to move forward. Death and blood and magic seem to be all I'm good with. Why would I deserve actual love and feeling like I belong somewhere when all I do is destroy? <laughs> Persephone gets impatient and hops up between my legs and chest, her fur in my face. I turn my head so her tail doesn't tickle my nose as she's nuzzling it in to lay down. And that's when I notice it. There's a faint white glow of light coming from my room. No lights in my room make this color, except at night when I leave my laptop in there. But I hadn't left it there today, and the sleep mode should have already turned it off, unless something else is keeping it on. I get off the floor and slowly make my way to the bedroom, 
I put my shields up on high alert and probe my whole apartment with magic, double-checking that I'm completely alone. When I sense nothing, I remember how Harry and his magic wielder took me by surprise, so I physically go to every room and make sure no one's hiding. It's just Persephone and me. So I continue into my bedroom. Why the hell do the bad guys think they can come into my bedroom? There should be a rule about neither side attacking the other at home. It's supposed to be your safe space, dammit. Before I step foot into my room, I can see the laptop scream at the foot of my bed. I push the door hard so it would rock and hit anyone behind it. It makes clean contact with the wall and begins to swing back, but I stop it from obstructing my view when I see what's on the screen. It's a live stream of video footage in a room lit from head to toe with white lights, not a shadow to be seen. Nothing is in the room but one thing in the center. A chair. A chair with a body tied up. And not just anybody. Oh god. Sam! This episode of It's All in the Cards podcast was written by Ashley McAnally and Morgan Valco. Featuring the voice talents of Ashley McAnally, Scott Thomas, Aaron Ellis, and Fern May. Theme music was composed by The Arsonist and performed by Veronica Stonebreaker. Want more episodes? Subscribe to our Patreon and get bonus episodes, early access, and a look at the Patreon-exclusive spin-off series, The Deck of the Eternals, available to Celtic Cross subscribers. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook or Instagram at It's All in the Cards Podcast, or on Twitter at It's All in the Card. It's All in the Cards Podcast is not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. <laughs>